Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I'm going to invite Brent up in here in just a second, but uh, he's a good, dear friend of mine. He's a mentor of mine. Uh, he's somebody that we as the church, we partner with, and uh, we, we, we get to support and do all of the awesome things that he's doing and getting behind. And uh, I'll just let you know, he's way more jacked than I am. So just be prepared when this strong, strong dude gets up here. He's awesome. So with that, I'm going to invite Brent Silkey up. Can you give a rousing round of applause for Brent? Good morning, church. So on, it's such an honor to be here. I want to say hi to those online. We're glad that you could tune in. And Pastor Derek, I just want to say thank you for being an incredible friend. Um, you, I know that you already all know this, but sometimes in life, there are, you just need to be encouraged. And one of the gifts that the Spirit of God has given to your pastor is the gift of encouragement. He speaks that language fluently. And uh, can we just honor Pastor Derek and Meg this morning? <laughs> Thankful for you, ma'am. Thankful for you. I think one thing that's really cool that you do, Pastor, is that sometimes I'll get like a voice memo, and it's a prayer. And you're like, hey, you're on my heart right now. I'm praying for you. And it's so cool how God works because it's usually at the exact moment that I need to encouragement. I'm like, man, it's a really tough day. Boom. Hey, Brent, you're on my heart today. I'm just praying for you. So, Pastor, I appreciate you so much. I want to introduce our family to you. This is my family. My wife, Elizabeth, and I, we're coming up to 15 years of marriage. and we have, We're so thankful for our kiddos. Belle is in the, in the yellow there in the middle. Clara Jean is over here in my arm. So 11, 8, Hank the Tank turns 5 next week. Come on. And then we have my little guy, Josiah, who just turned 2. And I want to say thank you on behalf of my family. Thank you to this amazing church for sending us out to the campus at the University of St. Thomas to share the love and the hope of the gospel with college students. And it was the craziest thing. I've got a picture of our ministry from this last Wednesday night. And I just told everyone, just point in a different direction. So this is the picture that we have. But the thing that's really cool about this is that when we, you're like, that's so random. It is random. The thing that's really cool, though, is we get to point students to Jesus. And this week, we prayed with seven college students who are, some of them are recommitting their life to Christ. And some for the very first time were putting their faith and their hope in Christ. And so if you don't know what Chi Alpha is, Chi Alpha is a college campus ministry. We're on about 300 campuses nationwide. And we get the opportunity to be an extension of the church on the campus. We have worship services, discipleship groups. We have events and retreats and outreaches that we do. And uh, we've been there now. This is our seventh school year at at St. Thomas and our eighth school year uh, being a part of Chi Alpha. And we couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much for your support. Um, I believe that we've we've prayed with over the last seven years about 175 students who said, I want to follow Jesus. And I think about how critical of a time in life college is. And for them to make a decision, their own decision on their own terms to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you. It's been an amazing, amazing thing to watch and to, to walk with them. We, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I, if you're ever with me in a worship setting like this, I'm almost always in the back. And I think I, I, I didn't know why I always gravitate toward the back. We always talk about front row leaders. And I'm like a back row leader, I guess. But I'm in the back because when I came to faith and when I came to know Jesus truly, when he transformed my life, I was an 18-year-old freshman in college, and I was sitting in the back of a church because I, I didn't feel like worthy maybe to be in the front, and I heard the gospel. I heard about this life-changing message of that God would send his son to die on the cross for me, and I remember just sitting back in the very back row of Cedar Valley Church in Bloomington, Minnesota, 
section B in the very last pew. We didn't have chairs, we had pews. And I remember sitting there with blonde hair, you can picture that, and I bowed my head and I was like, God, I am so desperate for you. I'm so broken, I'm so lost. I need you to come lead my life. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whoever you want me to be, but I just need you, Lord. And so when I'm in a worship setting, I'm in the back a lot. And a lot of times, I'm, I go to different camps sometimes, and I was at a camp a number of years ago, and I was in the back of that camp. And if you can imagine, I have a picture from a camp from this same similar type of camp setting. So there's hundreds and hundreds of students. Most of them are at the front, and it's just amazing worship. Like you walk through the threshold of that worship center, and you can palpably experience the presence of God. And I'm in the back, like I always am. And I remember pacing and praying, like, God, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. And then I saw something that was, it kind of caught my attention. And I tried to not, like, be a bothered other people. And I was just praying. and say, like, God, you're so faithful. But I kept seeing this young lady. Everyone seemed to be standing. But she was sitting down, and she was kind of hunched over a little bit. And I just, it's kind of like the father's heart in me, like the dad heart. I was like, I got to just make sure everything's okay. So I went up to this young lady at this camp. Everyone else is at the front. It's jumping around. It's awesome. And I, I said, hey, I, I don't, I'm so sorry to interrupt your time of worship. But I just, you're on my heart. I, I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. And she looked at me, and her eyes got big, and she, she like, things weren't okay. I could tell. And the closer I got, the more I could tell that she was having a hard time. She was, her breathing was distressed, like something wasn't right there. And I just said, hey, do you happen to have asthma? She nods her head. I'm like, do you have an inhaler? She nods her head. I'm like, but you don't have it with you. She shakes her head. So I grab another counselor at the camp, and I said, hey, we need to get to this building across the campgrounds. We need to find the room that she's in. We need to get her inhaler out of her bag. So we run across the campground. We move from this beautiful, comfortable, air-conditioned worship space across the hot, sweaty campground. We get to this building. We find her room. We knock on the door. No one's in there because everyone's in the worship center. And we open the door, and there are 10 beds. There are millions upon millions of purses and bags and small little, you know what I mean? Like there's bags everywhere. It's like, how are we going to possibly find this, this girl's one bag with her inhaler? It's like a needle in a haystack. And somehow my, my fellow counselor found it. He goes, hey, Silk, I got it. And he sprints out the door. He hands it to me like a four by 100 meter. You know what I mean? Saying like, I, I sprint across the campground into the worship center. People are still worshiping. But at this time, the nurse is with her and there's a few of her friends because they see that something isn't right. I sprint up to her, and I hand her her inhaler. And I'll never forget what she did. She, she took it in her hand, and she, her, it was like you could tell in her eyes before it even got to her mouth. of like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And she puts it up to her mouth. And it was like a trembling in her breath. And she could breathe. And I remember that moment because the Lord spoke to me in that moment about two different things. I th- one of my favorite things is to be to see the different expressions of the church in the different places that I get to go, like, like to, c- to come here today and to be a part of worship. And I'm just in the back, and I can feel, like, the worship, like, thumping, you know. It's just, it's just powerful. It's just an amazing thing. But I realized in that moment that, you know what, we can be in the house of God, worshiping him. We could be at a campground with hundreds of students on their feet at the, at the altars. But there can still be those who are silently suffering among us. And I just want you to know, especially for those who are new, Maybe you're new within the last six months. Pastor Derek didn't ask me to say this. To go to that newcomer's lunch or dinner, I, I think in the, in the lunch, sometimes my, my family is in the rural parts of South Dakota. You're like, it's, isn't it all rural? Okay. Um, they say dinner for lunch. So sometimes I get confused. But the newcomer's meal after service, 
would be, would be a wonderful place to connect. And here's the thing that I love about Pastor Derek is sometimes, you know, you can see someone say, hey, how you doing? And it's a Sunday morning, like, oh, I'm doing great. Oh, it's, it's uh, been a great week. God's so good. And then they can ask you, they can, like, see through, like, the facade and say, hey, how are you really doing? And you kind of, like, let your shoulders kind of, like, slump, and you're like, you know, it's, been, it's actually been a really hard week. I love that we can be real as followers of Christ. I love that we can be real here at the church. So I think about if you're, if you're struggling through something, hang out for the lunch slash dinner. And uh, it would be a great time to connect with some great people and, and to share your story. But I was thinking about that, that young lady at the camp because there was a sense of urgency about need, she needed help now. And one of the things that, that the Lord spoke to me in that moment is that, sorry, I, got, I thought there was some, something popped up there. Um, we, when we move from comfortable to less comfortable on behalf of other people, that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? Moving from comfortable to less comfortable. We could have, we could have stayed in that comfortable air-conditioned worship space at camp, but there was a young lady who was desperately in need of something. So we moved from comfortable to less comfortable to run across the campground, find her inhaler, bring it back, run across the, the sanctuary, give it to her so she could breathe. And I think there are times when God calls us individually as his followers to move from comfortable to less comfortable on behalf of other people. And sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes we resist. But I want to show you this morning an amazing and a beautiful thing um, in just a moment from the scriptures of what can happen when we move from comfortable to less comfortable. The final thing I want to say before we get into the scriptures this morning is there's a picture I have from a chapel service at North Central University. I was a 19-year-old kid. The blonde was fading from my black hair. And I remember being in this chapel service, sitting up in the balcony, looking down at the stage. I was utterly unprepared for what God was going to do in that moment. As the speaker came up to share that morning, he started to share stuff that it just grabbed my heart and I wouldn't let go. Because he began to share stats and stories about these young girls, young girls, preteen girls in India, where they were ministering, who had been trafficked, who had then been rescued by their organization, who were being ministered to holistically. And I remember sitting there, sitting there as a 19-year-old kid in college, didn't have a lot of money, didn't know what I could do, but I felt like, I felt like God was saying, you got to do something. It was like that urgency moment of the camp, but for like an entire people group of, of people who are being trafficked. And I learned that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking. It's like, it's like unthinkable how, how frequent and how fast and how, re- how readily like that, that is happening in our world. The average age, now this is an average, the average age of a trafficking victim is between 12 and 13 years old. And if you know stuff about averages, that means that there are many that are far younger than that, for that to be the average. The average age of a little boy who's trafficked is, is between 9 and 12. And it, it makes me sick to my stomach to even repeat those statistics. But when, I, when you sit in a, in a service like this and God begins to, like, knock on the door of your heart saying, hey, would you be willing to move? Would you be willing to do something? Would you be willing to move from comfortable to less comfortable so that people can be free? Would you be willing to do something that you normally wouldn't do so that other people can experience the hope of the gospel? Would you be willing to do something that maybe you've never done before so that people can be free? That's what this message is about this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. You can turn there. You can click there. You can Go there uh, in your hard copy Bible, or if you are a version person, you can, you can click there as well. 
And to set the stage for you, Jesus of Nazareth has been, he's been going town to town, village to village, and he's been proclaiming the kingdom of God. But what I think is so powerful about Jesus' ministry is he didn't just proclaim it with his mouth. He walked it out. He demonstrated the power of the kingdom. When there were people who were there who were blind, he could spit in the dirt and make mud, put it on their eyes and open their eyes so they could see. When there were people who were bound by evil spirits, he could speak a word and cast out the evil spirit. He could go place to place and do things that no one else could do. So if you can imagine that, if you can imagine if Jesus was on earth today walking around and there were people like my mom is currently battling cancer. She currently needs to have both of her knees replaced. She just had her hip replaced in January. And if Jesus was on earth, I would, I would spend everything I have to get her in front of Jesus to just, he would just, for him just to say, Carol be healed. Right? And if you think about the first century, you have, you hear that this traveling rabbi, you hear that this carpenter's son now turned rabbi is traveling around and he's proclaiming the kingdom and he's demonstrating the kingdom. If, if you knew anyone who was sick, you would want to bring them to wherever he was. So if he's in Capernaum, you would want to get, you know, get everyone on the donkey and get them to get them to Capernaum. So here's Jesus doing all these things. And, and what we find here is, is, is amazing. Check this out in Mark chapter two, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So picture a little tiny first century house, packed full of people. And if you think about like the time when this was in the first century, there's no air conditioning, there's no electricity, it's probably a sweaty, hot mess. Shoulder to shoulder, people are sitting there wanting to see like, hey, he's going to teach the kingdom of God. He's going to preach the kingdom of God. He's going to demonstrate the kingdom of God. So you'd have people there that would have like serious ailments who are trying to like be healed by him. You had people who are there who are like, hey, I just want to see like, are we going to see a miracle happen today? Like, I, have you ever seen a miracle happen? Like they were just wanting to see the show. Then you have the religious critics who are like, he heals on the Sabbath. He can't be of God, right? And then you have the other people who are like holding out hope, like our whole life, our, our people since the beginning of time have heard about the savior who's coming, this Messiah who's coming. Could this be him? No one else has ever been able to open the eyes of the blind. No one else has been able to cast out evil spirits or heal people who couldn't walk. And so they're sitting there packed together in this little house. And there's so many people that they're even outside the door is packed. If you've ever like been in a standing room only place, I'm a huge, I'm going to say this and lose everybody. I'm a huge, huge football, professional football fan. My team since I was a kid in the 90s is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay? And I've been to the stadium, Jerry's World. And they have an entire place that's in just standing room only. And I just, I just remember, I've, I've been to some games there, and I just see it up on the deck where they're just standing side to side, and they're just so happy just to be there to watch the Cowboys play. But, like, think about that. There are so many people in this house that they are crowding around the outside of the house. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. If there's parents in the room, you could probably remember a time if you went to a place like an amusement park, Valley Fair, Nickelodeon Universe. used to be called Camp Snoopy. Uh, if you've been to Disney World, Disneyland, Six Flags, if you've been to a place like that, sometimes you have to, like, take out a second mortgage just to get in, right? It's so expensive, right, to get in. And so if you're making this decision, like, hey, I'm going to make a business decision. It costs this much to get my entire family in. We're going to skip naps today. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but that's what we would sometimes do. And there's a point of the day, a point of no return, where you have skipped the nap, you've foregone the nap, and you're like, we're going to go on the rides. It's going to be the best day ever. And your kids are just, it's over. 
Like, they just, they're like, Dad, I'm done. And you have to physically pick them up and carry them around for the rest of the time. It, it's exhausting to carry a human. And those are little humans, typically. You know what I mean? Here's a grown man who, in this time, there were no accommodations for those with disabilities. There were none. If you, if you were not able to walk, you were not able to work. If you were not able to work, you couldn't provide for a family. So the only way that you could do it is you would want to be, like, brought to a place where you thought maybe there are charitable or generous people, and you would literally beg for people to give you a handout every day. It was a really sad first century reality. So you have these four friends who move from comfortable to less comfortable, and they carry their paralyzed friend on a mat. We don't know if he was born paralyzed or if he had an accident that caused paralysis later in life. We don't have that detail in the scripture. All we know is he's paralyzed, and these four friends are moving from comfortable to less comfortable to bring their friend on his mat into, this, into Capernaum to go to this house that's packed full of sweaty people, and it's packed on standing room only to get him to Jesus. And aren't you thankful for people who move from comfortable to less comfortable for you? I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for my friends. I didn't know this until I was, like, later in college. They started praying for me to come to know who Jesus was in a personal way in eighth grade. Every single day they brought my name before the Lord. I'm so thankful for friends who don't give up. And here you have these friends bringing their friend to Jesus. They see that there's a huge crowd. They see there's a crowd outside the house. And they're like, you know what? We're doing this thing. I don't know if you guys have one of those friends in your friend group. They're like, they're, nothing can stop the eternal optimist, right? Like, we're going to get him on the roof. Like, on the roof. So they bring their friend. They push through the crowd outside the house. They get him. They hoist him somehow on the roof. He's on the roof. And I just picture, like, one of them, like, hanging down over the side to, like, look. Okay, Jesus is about there. Okay, hey, move him three feet over. Okay, we're going to go right here. What do you mean we're going to go right here? They start taking the tiles off of the roof. As a homeowner, I'm like, no, right? They start taking the tiles off the roof, and all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching in this packed, full, packed house full of sweaty people, and the roof is coming apart. The ceiling's opening up, and all this stuff is falling down. You can see it in the daylight, and all of a sudden, there's a human eclipse as a body is being lowered down on a mat. Can you imagine, just for a minute, just for a minute, think about this. If you were that man who had four friends who were willing to carry you from wherever you were, through the crowd, onto the roof, ripping off the tiles to lower you down. Can you imagine the feeling of being lowered down in front of Jesus on your mat? It wouldn't have been like a smooth elevator ride. It would have likely been an awkward, like, Duh, right, kind of a thing. And you're, you're laying on a mat in front of a house full of sweaty people, and Jesus is there. And it says, Jesus looked at the friends and saw their faith. Then he looked at the man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Powerful words. Those are not the words you came to hear. You're like, I actually came to be healed. I actually came so that I could leave and, and have a different way of life in the first century. And it says that the people, the religious teachers, verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus does something very, very scary. Jedi-like. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them. So he speaks to their thoughts, and he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to heal the sick. 
get up, your, take your mat, and walk. And I, th- I just think about this from like a sports physiolo- physiology, kinesiology perspective. He's laying there on a mat. His legs haven't been in use for we don't know how long. His muscles would have, his musculature would have atrophied to the point where it had been like, even if Jesus healed him, could he actually stand on those legs? And this paralyzed man stands up, rolls up his mat in front of this house full of sweaty people. He walks out in full view of everybody, the religious, religious leaders, those who came for a show, those who are there to be healed. He walks out in full view of them all. And it says, and they saw this and they praised God in heaven. And he didn't just walk out of that house healed. He walked out of that house whole. God does immeasurably more than what we could ever ask for or imagine. That's just who he is. But these friends move from comfortable to less comfortable for their friend. Have you ever been asked by God to move from comfortable to less comfortable? The most significant thing that God's asked us to do from comfortable to less comfortable, it took place when I was 29 years old. I was a youth pastor at a church in Bloomington, the same church where I put my faith in Christ as a college kid. Once I graduated from college, they actually gave me a shot and hired me as the high school youth pastor. The junior high youth pastor was my friend who brought me to church, Mike and Mac. He brought me to church, and he was our junior high pastor. I was the high school pastor, and our other best friend, I named my youngest son Josiah after my friend Josiah. He was a young adults pastor. It was so crazy to be able to work in a place like that with my very best friends on both sides. And I remember thinking, you know what? This season won't last forever, but it's sure fun to be able to do ministry with my best friends. And then one day, March of 2015, this guy walks into my office at church, and he sits down, and he, he says, hey, uh, we have been thinking and dreaming and praying about bringing a college campus ministry called Chi Alpha to the private universities of Minnesota. And we're thinking of starting at the University of St. Thomas. And I was thinking, how are you going to get a Assemblies of God ministry at a Catholic university? Like, I just didn't know how that would happen. I said, well, great. I said, I know a lot of kids graduating from our central. I know a lot. Of, I have a lot of ministry network in the area. How can I help? And he's like, well, actually, we're, we're actually wondering if you would consider being the Chi Alpha director. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, I mean, thank you. Thanks for thinking of us. But um, that must come with like a really killer benefits package. And it must be awesome. And he leans back in his chair. And he's like, well, you'd actually have to become a missionary. And that's when I knew it wasn't, it couldn't have been God's will. There's no chance it could have, like, become a missionary. What are you talking about? He's like, well, you have to raise support. You have to ask family and friends and churches if they'll monthly sponsor what you're doing so that you can go to the campus and share the love of Christ. And at that time, church, just to be real, and I've shared a little bit of this story before, my wife and I, after our undergrad programs, we came out of North Central with a significant amount of student debt. And I'm like, I don't know that we'll ever pay this off unless Jesus comes back. Like, I don't know that we'll ever have this, this taken care of. So we took seven years. We lived in this really small apartment in our city, and we tried to pay down as much as we possibly could to be really, really good stewards of what God had entrusted to us at that time. We had Belle, who was three years old. We had Clara, who was one month old when we are having this conversation. And we had finally gotten to a place where we bought our first house. So there's a little three-year-old, there's a one-month-old, and there's a mortgage. And then he's asking me to become a missionary. I was like, this is not, there's no way. Talk about, like, comfortable to less comfortable. That night, Mike and Mac was preaching in our youth group, and he said, don't leave this space until you've heard from God. So I was in the back, like I always am. I got on my face before God. And he gave me a vision, standing on the campus at St. Thomas with a Bible like this and students around me. And I was 
exhilarated and devastated. <laughs> like, oh no, this is happening. So he spent the next few weeks praying, seeking God's wisdom, talking to mentors. And we got to the point, and if, you, if God's ever asked you to make a significant change or pivot in your life, you might come to a, a point of desperation like we were at. We're like, God, just give us one more sign. Just show us one more time this is your will, and we'll go all in. But we just need to know that you're in this. So I'm at, a, I'm at this prayer meeting at District Council at Emanuel Christian Center, Spring Lake Park. And a pastor stands up, and he's, he starts to read out of the scriptures, out of Isaiah. I've called you from the corners of the earth, from the farthest corners I've called you. And I'm thinking, I'm from Seoul, South Korea. Okay, okay, what, coincidence, coincidence. I've called you from the corners of the earth, from the farthest corners I've called you. I've chosen you, I have not rejected you. Do not be afraid, for I will go before you and I'll hold you with my righteous right hand. And I began to just weep on the front row. I knew God was calling us. So we stepped out from comfortable to less comfortable to become Kyle for missionaries. God's faithful. He's so faithful. But in that first month of being missionaries, sorry, first six months, we felt like God reminded us of that chapel at North Central where we heard about human trafficking. We felt like that was God knocking on the door of our heart saying, hey, you're coming up to your 30th birthday. I'm going to use that for something. I'm going to use that for a greater purpose than just to blow out 30 candles on a cake. And I felt like God put this dream in my heart to run 30 miles on my 30th birthday to invite 30 friends to come and run with me so we could raise $30,000 to rescue people out of sex trafficking because every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim. So I called people. I messaged people. I sent DMs on social media. And when I would talk to people, they would say, wait, wait, wait. You want me to run 30 miles? How long is a marathon, Brent? I'm like 26 miles, 385 yards. You want me to run longer than that? And every person I talked to said the same answer. No. No. 30 miles? What are you talking about? You can go run on, run on your own for your 30th birthday. Happy birthday, you know? And then I would tell them why. Because they would say, well, why would you do that? Because every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking, and I have to do something about it. And I feel like God's put this passion in our hearts. I know we just became missionaries. He went from, we, we, God asked us to go from comfortable to less comfortable, from comfortable to less comfortable again. And on my 30th birthday, we've got a picture, and I know I've shown you guys this before in past years. But it was so crazy as 48 of these people decided they would run 30 miles. And 75, young and old alike, grandparents, grandkids, strollers, teenagers, college kids, did a 5K. So we had 123 people that showed up to, to move from comfortable to less comfortable. And you know who God is? He does immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. We come to get healed and we're made whole. And God brought in $81,346 that day. It was, it was so crazy. And the cool full circle thing I forgot to share at first service is that one of the organizations that we get to support with the funds we raise is the organization I heard about standing in that, when I was sitting in the, in the balcony at Chapel at North Central, Project Rescue. So here's the thing. The weirdest thing took place because the next week, week and a half, my phone just kept going off. Brent, can't wait to, for next year. Can't wait to bring my youth group next year. Can't wait to bring my church, cross country, track and field, soccer team. Can't wait to bring people next year. And I just kept thinking, like, I, I think I only turned 30. Like, that, I mean, it was weird. So the next year, we had 400 people that came. They moved from comfortable to less comfortable. And we're like, you know what? There is a growing awareness that's taking place. There are people that are wanting to make a difference in the fight against human trafficking. And so we have kept doing it. And over the last, the first seven years of 30 for Freedom, God is so faithful. The original goal of 30000 became $1.56 million. 
And I share that to say, like, hey, here's, here's the thing. When we move from comfortable to less comfortable, we never know what God could do. I believe there's miraculous potential in every single step of obedience we take. And the cool thing, and you might be thinking, wow, 1.56, so how much of that, like, goes to admin costs? How much of that gets given to the cause? One thing I'm really proud of our whole movement is that from myself, our board, every person who, who takes part in designing the website, um, the accounting, professional videography, photography, every part of it is led by volunteers, people who are passionate about the cause so that when a donation is made, we can give 100% of it directly to the cause. You're like, well, what's the cause? The cause, uh, we give to three organizations that we have carefully vetted as a board, Project Rescue, Venture, and Free International. And they do three things. We have a slide up here with the red text on it. The three things that we give to, sex trafficking prevention. If we can prevent it from ever happening in the first place to a kid, it's the best case scenario, prevention. Rescue operations. I'm going to share at the very end of this message time in just in a couple of minutes, two stories of rescue that have taken place from the organizations we support here locally, um, which is called Free International. If we can rescue people out of it, then they become survivors. Then there's a holistic approach of healing and restoration that has to take place. My wife, when we were in college, heard about sex trafficking. She declared her major in psychology. She went on to get her master's in, in counseling psychology and started a practice, a counseling practice, to help people who have been through things like trafficking, trauma. Right before the world shut down in 2020, she flew over to work with one of our 30 for Freedom partners. She got to minister to 70 young ladies in these safe houses. Some have been trafficked and been rescued, and some have been protected from being trafficked. She got to minister to 70 of them. She got to train house moms of all the different houses, like just some of the basic things as far as trauma response. This is a family heartbeat and passion. And here's the thing. When we do these different things, what we're, we're inviting people to do all across the state of Minnesota is move from comfortable to less comfortable. For some people, that's a 5K. Some people, they're like, Brent, I hate running so much. <laughs> but I'll run to raise awareness, and I'll use that platform to raise funds. Some people are like, hey, I actually like to run. I, I like to run a 10K. So they run 6.2 miles, and they help raise awareness of what's going on and raise funds. Some people are like, you know, I've been training. I've been wanting to do a half marathon, and so they rock a half marathon for freedom. It's awesome, 13.1 miles. Some people are going to do 30 miles, and it's like 30 miles. How long is that going to take? We've seen it take anywhere from four hours to, I think, 16 hours. It's a moving from comfortable to less comfortable for a long period of time. And then the final one is I felt like God was just like stirring something new in me, saying, hey, what if there could be 60 people who would actually move 60 miles in a day and help each raise $5,000? That would be 300000 of our goal for this year of 500000 That would be pretty crazy. And I think we're at like we're at some of the we're in the mid-40s. Um, in a couple of months, I'm going to attempt to do 62 miles for freedom. Because I don't, I don't want to come up here and ask people to move from comfortable to less comfortable and then go live a comfortable life not doing it. <laughs> I want to do it too. Our family's goal is $10,000. And the thing that's crazy is that some people are like, hey, I, I can do the movement side. Um, and I know that there have been people in, in some different, some of our different churches that have said, hey, I can't actually, I physically am not able to move like you want me to move, but I can do this. And there's a, there's a man in one of our churches who said, hey, I, he said it to his pastor. Pastor, you're doing 30 for freedom. I can do this. He handed him a check for $20,000, moving from comfortable to less comfortable. I don't know what it looks like for you, and I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this is what you should do if that's not my role. But I want to invite you guys to be a part. 
And I just want to tell you two stories as we close this morning of rescues that have taken place. There's a picture from Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Strip. And there was a team of people from Minnesota who moved from comfortable to less comfortable, went on a mission trip to Las Vegas, and they had a list. They do something called the Big Search. This is Free International, one of the partners we support, where they'll take about a 72-hour period coordinating with law enforcement agencies and other nonprofits, and they'll take a list of missing youth. So this, this particular trip had 30 missing youth. One of them was a 15-year-old girl. And what they'll do is they do a, a social media search part of their protocol. So they put her name into the social media. It's actually on Instagram where they search for her name. Nothing had been posted on her account for months. And while they were searching, there was a video of her dancing that was posted in a hotel room in Las Vegas by her tracker. This team is amazing, the, the organizations we get to support, because they narrowed it down to one of six hotels out of 880 hotels. So they sent the team, they split into six, and they went to these hotels. And they had a picture of this young lady on their phone, and they would go up to people working at the hotel and say, excuse me, have you seen this young lady? Excuse me, have you, have you seen this young lady? And on the casino floor, of all places, a security guard looked at the picture and said, of this 15-year-old girl, he goes, 30 minutes ago, I kicked her off the floor. She's a minor, she can't be here. They spent three hours searching, combing through that hotel's security cam footage, the lobby, the, the restaurant, the casino, every place they could find until they found the room where this 15-year-old girl is being trafficked out of. It was being purchased and bought and sold. They went in, rescued her out with law enforcement. They brought her down to the Las Vegas Strip where she stood there as people were buzzing in and out of the vehicles. This 15-year-old kid, she'd been through only God knows. And she looked around at all the people and she said, are, are you are you all here looking for me? And one of, the, one of the volunteers was there, and she's like, oh, honey, we're here looking for you and for 29 other kids who are missing. And as a tear began to fall down her cheek, she said words that are haunting to me as a dad, and they're extraordinarily motivating to me in the fight against human trafficking. She said, I didn't think anybody was looking for me. 15-year-old kid, are you kidding me? And when I see people move from comfortable to less comfortable and do crazy things, and give in crazy, generous ways. It's so that people like that can be set free in Jesus' name. There's another picture I have of this. This one just grabbed my heart. The girl in the black shirt facing the same direction I'm facing right now. Young kid, I can't, I can't remember if she was 13 or 15. She was rescued in Chicago last summer on a rescue op from Free International. I can't imagine her mom, who's, who's the one who's facing this way. The thought of your own daughter missing, just thinking of different scenarios that could be happening. And finally, she's rescued. She's rescued. They say less than 1% of trafficking victims are ever rescued. She was one, she's one of the 1%. And just that reunion picture with some of the free international workers. Why in the world would we move from comfortable to less comfortable? So those kind of reunions can happen. I'm going to just share one quick more thing I didn't share for a service. I just... I was talking to some great people before, before this service. I just want to share this. When we are seeing people rescued, young girls rescued overseas in Southeast Asia through our partner's venture, they're rescued. They're brought to a safe house. They're given nutritious food, education, and they get an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And there are so many of these young ladies 
who are on fire for God. They're hearing about the hope of Christ. They're, they're being healed. They're being restored. They're like, I have to go back. They're like, what do you mean you have to go back? I have to go back to my village. Well, you were, you were trafficked from, your, from that village. I have to go back and I know how the system works. I need to rescue other girls. I also need to bring this hope of this gospel about this Jesus that I found. I need to go to the God. I need to go and bring the gospel to my village. So what they're doing is they're going and they're rescuing other rescued people are rescuing people. They're going and they're planting churches in these villages. And there are so many people that are coming to know Jesus in a personal way that they're shutting down the brothels because the demand is gone. The gospel is breaking out. Why would we move from comfortable to less comfortable? It's so the gospel can break out. It's so that people can be set free in Jesus' name. It's so that there can be hope that are brought to places on earth that are the darkest places on earth. And we move on a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon or a 30 or a 60. We have a kid right now, 19-year-old kid. He is running from the top of Minnesota to the bottom. He's running 600 miles in, I think, 20 days. And I talked to him on the phone this week. I was out on a training run. And he said, my, my, my legs hurt so much, Brad. My legs hurt so much. He said, but it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what's happening. It's nothing compared to what's happening to these, these kids. And he said, I wake up every day and say, God, help me get through this day. And I can't remember how many miles he, and he is right now. I think he's, he's probably getting close to around 200 to 600. I talked to him yesterday. He's like, Brent, it makes no sense, but this is the best I felt. I'm like, what? Are you superhuman? Are you healing yourself? Like, what's happening? But he's moving from comfortable to less comfortable. And I, and I would just love, 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 love to invite you on May 27th, Saturday, May 27th, to Memorial, Memorial Day weekend, it's that Saturday, Bloomington, Minnesota, right by the Mall of America at Cedar Valley Church. I would love to see a great contingent from the bridge come and make, make your miles matter, move from comfortable to less comfortable. Maybe it's through volunteering, maybe it's through moving, maybe it's through giving, maybe it's through a combination. But man, I believe that God is gonna help us to see sex trafficking ended in our lifetime and it's when we move from comfortable to less comfortable pastor would you come give it up for brent here last year i chickened out i only did a 5k last year <laughs> no, i'm just being facetious um but parker ran it with me last year you might be thinking, ran it with you? She sat in the stroller while I pushed her. But I remember I was about mile two, and, you know, Parker, you never know what she's going to do, so I had to check on her, of course. So I'm, you know, I, I'm pushing the stroller. I look down, and she's got a big smile on her face, and her hair's, you know, go all over the place. She's like, this is awesome, you know? But at mile two, I remember looking down at Parker and going, if it were my daughter that we're missing, I would do anything, anything. I'd fly over there myself and go Liam Neeson on this thing. I say it, I say it that way, but like I, I think about what it was like for that mom day after day after day after day after day, wondering when and if she's going to get that call that we found her. And what would that have been like? Because I think you get to a spot where you go, am I ever going to see my daughter again? 
I have to imagine what it felt like when she got to grab and hold her daughter and go, thank God that somebody was looking for her. And there's no dollar amount that I would be able to possibly give to say thank you for getting my daughter back to me. So, so many times we hear about these good causes, these good things happening in the world, and they are truly great. But what the reason we get behind Brent, the reason that we, we dedicate a Sunday to this, the reason that we're getting on board with this as a church is because this legitimately makes a difference. Cent by cent, mile by mile, day by day, this stuff truly makes an impact. And I don't need to even meet that person to be able to say, I want to do more of this. Because that changes the world for somebody. So as a church, here's what we're doing. We have a goal this year as a church to move 250 miles together. Riley is running 30 miles. I don't think the dudes ran more than four times this year. But he's like, I'm doing it. He'll make it. We'll need a wheelchair for him on Sunday, but it'll be awesome. But he, he, did, he, he did it because he goes, I hate this so much. I want to do something that's going to punish myself because I want to see this thing end. I'm running a half. And I'm going to have each kid with me for the last mile on the way across. I try to get Meg, but she's, uh, she's going to cheer me on. But here's what I would ask. Let's make this a church thing. Maybe you're not able to give financially. That's okay. Maybe you're not able to move, and that's okay. But let's have an entourage at the finish line cheering our people on. Hooting and hollering, doing it. Because when we cross that finish line, things are going to shift. The dollars and the awareness raised on the 27th are going to create more stories like they had in Chicago. Think about this. I want to leave you with this. As we are sitting here right now, there's a little girl, a little boy that's being abused right now that might be saved months from now as a result of what someone's willing to do right now to go from comfortable to uncomfortable. So it is uncomfortable, and we are stepping on toes, but it's because what is on the other side is important and critical. So whatever it looks like for you, if you want to get involved in any capacity in the visitor center on your way out the door, there's all these little blue sheets. If you want to jump on board and do a race, if you want to give financial, you can come talk to me or even go right on the website there. But can we do this as a church? Can we make an impact? That's going to be not just physical, but eternal. Someone who's going to come to know Jesus as a result of getting saved. So would you do this with me? I want to pray for Brent and his family as he continues to be just on the front lines, kind of leading the way. But let's just pray for the movement and pray for what God wants to do in our world. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that you spoke a, a, a dream and a vision to Brent, God, in 2015. And I thank you, God, for how you have just blown that dream out of the water. And it's continued to make a 
tangible impact on this world and in the kingdom of God forever. So God, I pray that you continue to be with him. God, would you continue to speak to his heart? Would you be with his family? Would you be with his marriage? Would you be with his body as he as he handles an injury and an ailment, but he's pushing through? God, would you heal? Would you touch his family touch his body would you just be with him as he continues to lead the way for all of us and god for all those that are in this room all those that are watching online i pray god that you would challenge us and push us to move from comfortable to uncomfortable to make an impact in this world jesus lord would you guide us would you lead us as we talk about breaking free god would we break free from the strongholds of human trafficking and we see it end in our lifetime we can only do it through your power and your strength in jesus name we pray amen here's the good news it's a tough thing we talk about it's uncomfortable but the good news is we get to make an impact and celebrate what's happening so today i want to walk out of this place not feeling heavy but feeling motivated and strong So we give God some praise for our brother Brent and for what he's doing in this place. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.